Hey everybody, Greg Laurie here. You're listening to the Greg Laurie Podcast. And my objective is to deliver, hopefully, compelling practical insights and faith, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. To find out more about our ministry, just go to our website, harvest.org. So thanks for joining me for this podcast. Let me ask you a few questions. Questions that we all get around to asking eventually. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here on this earth? Why do I exist? What's going to happen after I die? Maybe you don't like the course that your life has taken lately. Maybe you're just not having fun in those parties anymore. And when you go down to the bar for happy hour, well it just isn't happy anymore, is it? Maybe there's an emptiness inside of you that you've begun to notice and you can't figure out what the problem is. So you thought, I just need more drugs. I need more booze. I need more sex. I need more stuff. That'll do it. But the more stuff you take in, the more empty you feel. But then again, maybe you've worked hard your whole life. You've never gotten into drugs or alcohol or stuff like that. And you've always felt if you made a certain amount of money, you would be happy. If you drove a certain car, if you lived in a certain house, or something else happened, that would make you happy. But maybe you've reached those goals. Maybe you've even surpassed them. But there is still this emptiness inside of you. Why is that? No one less than Madonna was quoted as recently saying, quote, I think a few years ago I wasn't sure what I was on this earth for. I was mostly concerned with getting things for myself, more clothes, more money, more popularity, and more boyfriends. I wasn't really thinking, I was just doing. Madonna says, then I woke up and said, what am I on this earth for, end quote. That's a good question. What are you on this earth for? What are you here for? And how can you be a happy person? I want to read to you a story from the Bible that many of you have heard. Some of you are going to hear it for the first time in your life. It's a story of a young boy who ran away from his father, realized how life was without his father, how empty it would be rather, and returned back home again. And it's a story that Jesus told to illustrate what our life is like when we put God out of it. This story is commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. Let me read it to you now. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger said to his father, I want my share of the estate now instead of waiting for you to die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth among his sons. A few days later, the young son packed all of his belongings and took a trip to a distant land and wasted all of his money on wild living. About this time, the money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to help him feed his pigs and the boy became so hungry that even the food he was feeding the pigs starting to look good to him. But then he came to his senses and he said, you know, at least men who work for my father have food on their table and here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just take me on as a hired person. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a great distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. That son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
The father said, quick, bring out the fatted calf and the finest robe in the house and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. For my son was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. I love that story. Jesus told it to show us what God is like. You might even say that this story is a snapshot of God. Not the image that a lot of people have of God. They see him as a perpetually ticked off supreme being who is just out to reign in your parade and make your life miserable. Nothing could be further from the truth. The picture that Jesus gives us of God, and the only accurate one I might add, is of a loving Heavenly Father who is saddened and heartbroken when we push Him out of our lives and who anxiously awaits our homecoming. As the story begins, we read of this young boy who just decided he wanted to leave home. Now why he wanted to leave home, we're not told. Sounds like he had a pretty good situation here. First of all, it was an affluent home. They had servants. He probably had more clothes, more food than he would ever want, but he probably had responsibilities that went along with it. This is also a loving home because when he comes back again, the father kisses him over and over again. So this kid seemed to have a good, stable home life. Now a lot of kids run away from home because they're abused or they're neglected or the parents have split up and they're disillusioned. I read a statistic the other day that said in 1960, the total number of children living in fatherless homes was fewer than 8 million. Today, that total has risen to nearly 24 million, meaning that nearly 4 out of 10 children in America are being raised in homes without their fathers, and soon it's going to be 6 out of 10. And many of the studies that have been done and all of the social ills we're facing today have come back to this simple fact. These kids come from broken homes. It's the number one reason that kids get into drugs. The number one reason kids get into drinking. The number one reason girls get pregnant outside of wedlock. The number one reason that young boys join gangs and you could go on and on. Dad's not home. They're left to themselves. They don't have any direction. Maybe you come from a broken home. Maybe your parents let you down. You look to them as an example. And then they broke apart and you feel that you're somehow responsible for it. You've just been sort of set adrift. I certainly felt that way. I came from a broken home many times over, an alcoholic home. And as a young kid, I never really had any adult role models that I had all that much admiration for. And so I realized that I had to start thinking and fending for myself. And my little journey took me into drinking and partying and doing drugs. And it wasn't long before I discovered that that was a dead-end street. People told me when I used drugs I would become more aware, and they were right in one sense. I used drugs and I became more aware of how empty and miserable I was. And maybe that's where your journey has led you tonight. You've seen the emptiness of life. You're searching. You're looking for someone. I want you to know, even if your parents have let you down, even if your earthly father has let you down, you have a heavenly father who loves you and will never let you down. So come to him tonight. I think this boy probably felt that the old man was keeping him from the good life. 
He probably thought, you know, I am just so sick of dad and all of his stinking rules and regulations and standards, and I don't want to live that way. I, I want to go out and really live large. I want to go out and experience everything this world has to offer. I'm tired of school. I'm tired of work. I'm tired of responsibilities. And I don't care if it bothers my father. So he goes up to his father and says, Dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to kick the bucket, okay? I don't want to wait till you're dead to get my inheritance. I want you to give it to me right now. And this, of course, was a great inconvenience for his father. But that kid didn't care how his father felt about it. I want to go out and see for myself. And maybe you feel that way. You know these adults, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to go live life and I'm going to see all that this world has to offer. And have you ever noticed that it always seems like it's going to get better just a little bit later? You know, when you're a young kid, you think, well, when I'm a teenager, that's when I'm going to be happy. That's when life is really going to be good. Then you become a teenager and you say, well, when I get my driver's license, that's when I'm going to be happy. Then you get your driver's license. Okay, I'm so sick of driving my mom's lame car. When I get my own set of wheels and I really trick them out. I'm talking custom wheels, stereo system, lowered. I'm gonna do everything to this vehicle, supercharge the engine, then I'm gonna be happy. Then you get that. Well, as soon as I graduate from high school, that'll make me happy. Then you get out of high school, well, I, I need to get my degree from college, then I'll be happy. And you get out of college, well, when I'm financially independent, that will do it, then I'll be happy. Okay, you reach that goal, well, I need to find my soulmate. And I know when I find him or her, then I'm gonna really be fulfilled and happy. And you find that person, you marry them, and after some years pass by, you say, uh, I like need a new soulmate now. Uh, the old one's not working out. So you get divorced and you find another soulmate. Well, maybe it's kids that we need. If we had kids, then we would be happy. And you have kids. Now, if we could get rid of these kids, that would do it. You see, I know it's when the kids are grown, they're gone, and we're in retirement. And if I could just get this really cool wheelchair with custom wheels and I'll supercharge the engine and get the picture. It just goes on and on, and it's always just beyond your reach. When John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world, someone asked them the question, how much money was enough? His answer was just a little bit more. And that's how it's always gonna be when you leave God out of the picture. You're in a vicious cycle of seeking but never satisfying. Why? Because no matter how much money you make, no matter how many people you know, or how many pleasures you've experienced, it will never be enough because you were created for something more. You were created to know the God who made you and he has a plan for your life. Don't you believe it when people tell you the answer is within and you must just find yourself. No, no, forget that. Because the more you get to know yourself, the more depressed you're gonna be. The answer is not within, friend. According to the Bible, the problem is within. Because the Bible tells us that we have all sinned and our heart is in rebellion against God. And nobody had to teach you how to sin now, did they? No one had to teach me. It came naturally. 
We all do it. And so there was this boy. He thinks, I'm going to go out and find out for myself. I'm going to live it up. And he wasted everything he had on wild living. I met when that kid came into town with money coming out of his pockets. He had a lot of fast friends. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Where you going? Let's go spend your money. But as soon as his money ran out, his friends ran out with it. Reminds me of a story I heard of two guys that were out camping in the woods. They were getting up early in the morning and having their first cup of coffee and they heard a rustling in the trees and look and there coming toward them full speed was a very large grizzly bear with a hungry look in his face. One of the guys began to quickly pull on his running shoes and his buddy said to him, you don't think you can outrun that grizzly, do you? He says, no, I don't need to outrun the grizzly. All I need to do is outrun you. That's how a lot of so-called friends are. When trouble comes in, they run out. Hey, consider this. You want to find out who your real friends are tonight? Make a commitment to Jesus Christ, and you'll know real fast. You'll know. I say that because when I made a commitment to Christ, my friends thought I'd lost my mind. And you know what? I found out a lot of those people weren't my friends at all. I don't know what has sent you on your rebellion against God. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home. Maybe you were taught the Bible from your youth. But something happened that turned you off. I mentioned parent splitting. Maybe it was a minister or a priest or someone else who misrepresented God to you and you said, that's it. They're a bunch of phonies. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And you threw out the baby with the bathwater. Can I just publicly tonight apologize for all the hypocrites in the church? I'm sorry we don't live as we always should live. Maybe we Christians ought to have a sign hanging around our neck that says, under construction. Because we have a long ways to go. But having said that, can I also point out to you that you need to understand that the excuse of too many hypocrites in the church will not hold water on Judgment Day. Because I know a lot of people hide behind it. Well, you know the reason I'm not a Christian. Too many hypocrites in the church. Okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. There are some hypocrites in the church. But you know what? There's a lot of people that live godly lives too. A lot more than those that are hypocritical. But you never hear their story. You know, you won't read the story of someone that lived a godly life. You'll read about someone that messes up and it'll be on the front page of the newspaper. And yes, that happens. But I'm telling you, there are a lot of people that walk closely with God. But this is my point. When you stand before God Almighty one day, and you will, friend, you will. And he asks you the question, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Do you think you're going to be able to say, well, okay, that's a good question. Um, okay, there were like really a lot of hypocrites in the church. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, never mind. Come on into heaven. No, I'm sorry. That won't hold water because you know it's an excuse and you're hiding behind it. Maybe some of you knew the Lord at one time and you fell away. You've gone back into sin and you're trapped right now and you're miserable. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, the backslider will be repaid for all their ways. 
The Bible says in 2 Peter 2.20, when people escape from the wicked ways of the world by learning about Jesus Christ and get tangled up with sin and become its slave again, they're worse off than before. Maybe that's happened to you. You were living a certain way before you were a Christian, made a commitment to Christ, have gone back into the old life again, and you're worse off than you were in the very beginning. This is what the Bible says will happen. That's why you need to come back to the Lord again. I mean, have you seen how miserable life is yet without God? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired yet? Look at the prodigal. One day he's living with his dad in the home with love and affection and the next day he's taken his inheritance, he's blown it on prostitutes and everything else and he's feeding a bunch of stupid pigs and he's so hungry he's ready to eat the food the pigs are eating. And that's sin for you. It promises fun, but it will bring misery. It promises success, but it will bring failure. It promises life, but it will bring death. Know that. And the story says he finally came to his senses. You know, I think that's such a great description because sin is like a form of insanity. People do the wackiest things. Under the influence of sin, they'll make the most idiotic decisions because they're not thinking clearly. But then one day they just come to themselves. They just realize this is it. And maybe this has happened for some of you. Maybe it happened earlier tonight. Maybe it's happening right now. You're saying, I get it. I get it. Jesus Christ is the one that I need. Jesus Christ who died on that cross and rose again from the dead wants to come into my life and he wants to forgive me of my sin. I need to get right with God. That's right. You're almost there. But there's another step you need to take. First you have to realize you're responsible for what you've done. Because this young boy said, I'm going to just go back and say to my dad, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven and against you. See, that's what you got to say. And a lot of times we don't want to say this. We'll say, well, I, I don't know that I've sinned. I, I, I've made certain mistakes. I love it now in Washington. When something wrong is done, they won't say, I've made a mistake. They won't even say, a bad thing was done. They'll just say, mistakes were made. That's classic. Mistakes were made. We don't know who made them. Somewhere, someone on this earth made a mistake, but mistakes were made. No, listen, if you want to get right with God, you have to say three things. I have sinned. Stop blaming your parents. Stop blaming your environment. Stop blaming other people. We're so prone to do this. If we have trouble at home, it's my parents. Trouble at school, it's the fault of my teachers. Trouble at work, the problem is my boss. You've got to just say, you know what? The problem is with me. I'm a sinner and I need help. I need God's forgiveness and I need to call out to Him. That's hard to do. I remember years ago, I was uh, surfing down at Big Corona Beach. And so I, I, a big set came in and I was paddling out and you know when big waves come you have to go toward the waves and go under them and so I paddled, went under, came up, another wave was coming, paddled out a little further, went under, paddled a little bit more and by the time I was done it was about halfway to Catalina, okay? And I was tired and I felt like I could actually drown. I was a pretty good swimmer, but I thought, I'm in serious trouble. I could see a lifeguard on the shore, and some of my friends were there, and I had a choice. Call for help, 
and get the lifeguard to come to me or drown. And I seriously considered drowning because I didn't want to call for a lifeguard to save me. I was too embarrassed. Is that not stupid or what? Well, I eventually got my way back in, fortunately. But some of us are like that. You know, we're basically so far out. We're so in need of God, but we're so prideful. I won't do it. I've seen people on their deathbed. They're seconds away from eternity. And you'll say to them, come to Jesus. I won't do it. No. I think, what is wrong with you? What are you holding out for? Is that the way you feel right now? You're going to have to humble yourself and say, God, help me. I've sinned. I'm sorry for what I've done. That's what this boy needed to do. And suddenly it dawns on him. Life in his father's house was great. Suddenly he realizes that everything he needed in life was found in his father's house. And it can dawn on you tonight. It's not these Christians that are crazy. It's been me. They're the ones who are right. And I need to get right with God. And you can tonight. See, here's the thing. You've been running from the very God who has what you're looking for. I heard a story of a lawyer who was trying to deliver an important paper to a man who was determined to avoid him at all costs. You see, this guy thought that the lawyer was going to deliver some kind of a subpoena, so he took great ways to dodge this guy, and he did this successfully for months, which led to years. Every time he saw that lawyer, he always found the back door, always managed to evade him. He says, he's not going to give me a subpoena. Fourteen years passed, and this man got cancer and was in the hospital with only days to live. And on one of his final days, who gets rolled into the room but the lawyer who had been pursuing him? This man said, you know what, go ahead and serve me your subpoena. I don't care anymore. Doesn't even matter, I'm going to die. The lawyer said, subpoena? I have an article of paper here that tells you that you had inherited $45 million and I was trying to give it to you. See, that's how we are with God. Oh, I'm not going to let God get me. I'm not going to become one of those born-agains. What are you running from? What do you think God wants to do? He wants to forgive you. He wants to show you His love. He wants to give to you the meaning of life. But you got to go back home again. Would you like to come to God? Would you like to be forgiven of your sin? Would you like to know that when you die you will go to heaven? You say, well Greg, let me ask you this. If I become a Christian, will I have to give up anything? The answer is yes, you will. But let me say that what you give up will be replaced by something better. Let me illustrate. Let's say that you were at home and you got a knock on the door. And you went up to your door. Who is it? It's Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Oh, no. You're lying. What? It's Jesus. I'm knocking at your door. Jesus Christ as in Jesus of the Bible at my front door? Yes. Open the door. I'll come in. Well, come on in. You open the door. And there he is, Jesus. I can't believe you would come to my door. This is so cool. Come on in, Lord, <laughs> Jesus. You don't mind if I call your first name. Come on in. Wow, it's so exciting to have you here. Well, it's good to be here. Wow, I, I feel like I should offer you something to eat. Are you hungry? 
Jesus says, well, yeah, I am. Okay, here, here sit down and I'll get you something in the kitchen. You run in the kitchen. What am I going to give to Jesus to eat? I, he's hungry and you open up the fridge. Okay, I'm not going to give him a beer. That's not a good choice. Uh, let's see, what a, a devil's food cake. No, he wouldn't. No, no, that's not good. Let, uh, oh, what, what? Oh, here, I'll give him this uh, piece of pizza. I'll reheat it, you know. And you're getting it ready and you hear some noise in the front room, some commotion. Sounds like things are breaking. Wait, excuse me. What's going on? You walk out and there's Jesus. He has your front door open and he's picking up your furniture and throwing it out the door. Uh, excuse me, Jesus. Hi, how you doing? Um, what are you doing? Jesus says, I'm just making myself at home, cleaning house. Jesus starts ripping down your wallpaper. Well, Lord, hello. I got that at the blue light special 15 years ago. You're ripping it down. He's ripping up that shag carpeting that you've had for years, throwing out all your stuff. Pictures that have been hanging on your walls, out the door they go. And you think, well, you know, someone should have told me this. If they would have told me that Jesus was going to throw some stuff out, I would have never let him in in the first place. You know, I don't know if I like what you're doing, Jesus. And the Lord says, would you just sit over there for a moment? And he lets out a loud whistle and a big moving van backs up into your driveway and emblazoned on the side of it are the words, Father and Son Moving Company. Okay. Jesus says, roll it in, boys. Beautiful, brand new carpet laid down on your floor. Hello, that's nice. Very nice. Brand new wallpaper. Beautiful, handcrafted furniture. Pictures that were so incredible like you've never seen before put up on your walls in the place of what you used to have and suddenly it dawns on you the only reason the Lord wanted to get rid of the old stuff was to put something better in its place and that's what Jesus Christ wants to do for you tonight. So Greg, will I have to give up anything? Yeah. You'll have to give up being lonely, being empty, being guilty, and being afraid to die. And in its place you'll have a friend that will never leave you, who will remove your guilt and give you the hope of heaven. That's God's trade-in deal, and it's here for you right now. So the boy heads home. He's feeling so bad. Oh man. I just, the old man's gonna just whoop me. I can't bear to look in his eyes. He's slowly making his way home. And he looks up and who does he see but his father coming toward him, not walking, but running. Oh, and before he can even blink, the father is there and he throws his arms around his son and he kisses him over and over again. Now I bet that boy stunk. You know, when you've been hanging around with Porky and the gang, you're not gonna smell too good. You could have seen the father running toward him, getting him out three feet up. Whoa, hello, you stink. Take a bath, and then I'll hug you. Clean your clothes, and then I'll accept you. But no, the father accepted the son as he was. And in the same way, some people think, oh, I need to clean my life up and come to God. I need to make certain changes and come to God. No, friend, listen, you need to come to God and He will clean your life up. He will make the changes. You need to come as you are tonight. Because you can't do it. 
You need God's help. And maybe there's another reason the father ran to the son. Maybe it's because he knew that the people in that village that they lived in were about ready to kill his boy. See, this boy had drugged the family name through the mud. He had disgraced his friends in his village. And they may have been picking up stones to kill him and execute him. And the father realized, I've got to get to my boy or he's not going to live to see tonight. And when he threw his arms around his son, everyone stopped and dropped their stones because they wouldn't kill that father. In the same way God saw our situation, how we've sinned, how we've fallen short. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to that cross. And I have to tell you, he didn't stop at the last moment. He put all of his judgment for all of the sins that we have ever committed upon Jesus as he hung there and bled and died for you and then rose again from the dead. That's why Jesus died, you see. He had to die because we had sinned and broken God's commandments. Jesus came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owe a debt we cannot pay. But Jesus paid for it for you. He bought your salvation and now he offers it to you as a gift and he says, I love you and I'll forgive you and I'll throw my arms around you and all you need to do is come to me now and turn from that sin. Do you want to do that tonight? You can. You can find the meaning of life. You can find personal happiness. You can find that peace you've been looking for. But you must come to Jesus Christ. Tonight is your night. And in a moment we're going to pray and I'm going to give you that opportunity. And I want you to know wherever you're sitting in this great stadium that God sees you as an individual. You're not just a face in the crowd to Him. He loves you. He's got your number. The Bible says the very hairs of our head are numbered. Now in my case, that's not a lot of work, but for some of you it is. But He loves you and is ready to forgive you if you will come to Him tonight. We're going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to be forgiven of all of your sin and get right with God. Okay? Let's all pray. Everybody praying. Lord, we know there are people here tonight that want to meet you. People that want their sin forgiven. People that want to come to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and help them to come to you this night, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen very carefully. Everyone that Jesus calls, he calls openly and publicly. That is why in a few moments when Delirious begins this next song, I'm going to ask you that want your sin forgiven. You that want to get right with God. You that want to find the meaning of life. Or you that want to come back to the Lord. I'm going to ask you in a moment to get up out of your seat and come down to this field and stand on the back of this platform. And when you all get down here, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of commitment or recommitment. I'm calling you that have never asked Christ to come into your life. You that don't know what it is to have that hope of heaven, but I'm also calling you that have fallen away from the Lord, that need to come back to Him tonight. You prodigal sons and daughters, it's time to come home. You need to be willing to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and then follow Him from this night forward. And He, just like with the prodigal, will throw His arms around you, He will forgive you, and He'll smother you with kisses. He loves you, and you can come to Him tonight. So if you want your sin forgiven, 
If you want to know that when you die you will go to heaven, if you want that void in your life filled, or you want to be ready for the Lord's return, He could come back at any moment, or you want to come back to Jesus Christ tonight, right now, wherever you are, get up out of your seat. Make your way down the stairs. Come down to the field behind and we'll lead you in a prayer of commitment. Why do I ask you to come publicly? Because Jesus says, if you will acknowledge me before people, I will acknowledge you before my Father and the angels in heaven. But if you deny me before people, I'll deny you before the Father and the angels. This is a way to acknowledge him publicly. I'm going to ask my Christian friends out there to not get up and leave early. The only movement I want to see in the next moment is the movement of those making this commitment or recommitment. Everybody else be praying as people come to Christ. You in the top levels there. It takes you a little bit longer to get down here. So don't feel this doesn't apply to you. You come on down. Make your public stand for Christ. Men and women, boys and girls, whoever you are, come to the God who loves you and receive His forgiveness tonight as Delirious plays his song. Hey everybody, Greg Laurie here. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And to learn more about Harvest Ministries, please subscribe and consider supporting this show. Just go to harvest.org. And by the way, if you want to find out how to come into a personal relationship with God, go to knowgod.org. That's K-N-O-W-G-O-D dot org.